And so as the kids are going out, just uh, from Pastor Caleb and I both, thank you guys again for uh, sending us to the Ligonier Conference down in uh, Florida there. It was an v- incredible blessing. Uh, the, the theme of it, and I shared a little bit the last time, was Stand Firm. And it was encouraging uh, to be, because many times, even in the pastoral world, you go, are we the only ones around here that <laughs> you know, are standing firm for the gospel anymore? And being able to be down there with 6,000 other people, um, proclaiming the name of Christ, uh, being reminded again that we don't need to reinvent the wheel. God's word is sufficient. It has been and always will be. And um, just helping you stay refocused because there are so many things coming at us to say if you do this or to do that, then you'll fit in in this circle or that circle. But to reminding ourselves to stand firm in the grace of God. Um, I, gave, I sent out an email with two sermons that I'd love for you guys to listen to. Um, if you don't get around to it, you're missing out. I'll just put it as bluntly as that. It's one on the Word of God by Steve Lawson. And then if you're really wrestling with uh, the world around us really likes to say the word love and as if Christians don't know what to do when someone says the word love and like, well, these two people love each other, but it seems like this is sin according to the Bible. Uh, Vodi Bakken did a phenomenal job of going through the passage of scripture where it says love not the world, that there actually is a love that is sinful. And you just can't throw love and think that it solves everything. And so I'd really encourage you to, to walk through those sermons, to listen to them, to re-listen to them, because they're very encouraging. So with that being said, though, let's look to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we will get into the text. Dearly Father, thank you. Thank you that it is by your grace and grace alone we stand. Thank you for the opportunity we have now to dig into your word, to see what this day is all about that we've set aside and call it Palm Sunday. Help us to understand what is being said, what is not being said, and how we need to live our lives in obedience in lieu of what was said. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you were a kid that grew up in the 80s or the 90s, all right, if that was what you cut your teeth in in those worlds, uh, especially if you were in the Christian world, uh, there was a movie that you probably watched more than once. It was called The Princess Bride. All right? And if you have not seen it yet, it's a classic of old. And in the movie, there was a narcissistic, very short little bully named Vicini who kept using a word over and over and over and over again. Everything that would happen, he would say, that's inconceivable, all right? And he would just say this over and over and over and over again. Finally, a guy named Inigo Montoya looks at him and says, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And these were some famous lines that would be thrown back and forth. And let's be honest, if you've been around the Christian world for long, You will hear people saying all sorts of religious things this time of year. You will hear songs being sung. You will hear proclamations being proclaimed. Some of them saying from the Bible, some of them sounding biblical-ish. And sadly, many times if we were to stand back, you could look and be tempted to look at the people and say, you keep using those words, but I don't think they mean what you think they mean. Because what we're going to see here in today's passage, Jesus is going to be coming into Jerusalem and there's going to be cries crying out saying all sorts of things. And in a way, we're going to take a look at this and pause and say, you keep using this phrase over and over and over again. I don't know if you really know what it means. And I would say as we listen to the crowd crying out in praise, I think we need to also look at our own hearts and say, are we guilty of this as well? 
We keep using these words. We keep saying these things. But have they really changed how we live? Or are they just little phrases we like to say, things we like to hear that makes ourselves feel good about ourselves, but never really changes? We never really understand what it means to our very core. And so we look to our passage that Rob read for us in Luke 19. I'm going to start us off in verse 36 to enter into it. I asked uh, Rob to read the whole passage, but we're going to start in verse 36. And as he rode along, he spread, they spread their cloaks on the ground. And as he drew near, already on the way to Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they have seen. So they're beginning to praise God here. Point number one, we're going to see this praise proclaimed. We'll see later on in the passage, they're going to, we're going to get some words attached to it. That's out of Psalm 118, roughly verses 26 and so forth, which I'm sure you all remember the call to worship was out of Psalm 118, because I encourage you, this is the song, this is the song that they are quoting. Like we quote lyrics now, they are quoting lyrics there, and there's a reason why they're picking out this song of, of praise. But what they're doing here is they're proclaiming. Uh, verse 38 here again, they're proclaiming, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so they're saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, you ha we have to be careful because if we only bring ourselves to Palm Sunday and we forget that Palm Sunday did not happen in a vacuum. It happened for a reason. And so I'm going to try to give you a little bit of the context of why they would be singing praises at this time. So the Jewish nation during this time is celebrating a thing called Passover. Now Passover was a reminder that God had told them that this was a reminder of when God brought them out of deliverance in Egypt and slavery in Egypt out of a mighty hand through the plagues and everything else. So God brought them from slavery to the, to the, um, to the land of promise, the Passover land and the journey that that took place. And so when they would enjoy the Passover meal together, they would remember God's deliverance out of slavery into the promised land. And so now as the Israelite people are celebrating this, they are in the promised land but under Roman rule, and they are longing for the day that they will have this Messiah that is promised that's going to come and deliver them. And so to put ourselves in this category, they are living in land that they are claiming is theirs. Rome is saying, no, it is ours. And not only that, they are being taxed like crazy, their kids are being taken away. Many of them, many of their daughters have been abused by Roman soldiers and everything else like this. They are beyond ticked at the Roman rule, waiting for the day that this is going to happen. And not only that, now we're celebrating the fact that God did it in the past and he's promised he's going to do it in the future. And they just can't wait for the day that Rome's going to be gone. They hated Rome. And so during this time, this fever pitch of God save us is building. And it's almost tangible. You can feel it in the community around it. And not only that, what is happening is all of Jerusalem, I mean, sorry, all of Israel is gathering into Jerusalem. That means the group that is up in the Galilee area are coming down to come to the Passover in Jerusalem. And all of the stories, all of the things that are going on, just like when people move, right, there's news that gets passed. And the group that was up in Galilee, where Jesus spent a lot of his ministry, are talking about this Messiah, this guy that was doing all of these healings and everything else. And now Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He goes through Jericho, and on his way through Jericho, he heals blind Bartimaeus. Not only that, after blind Bartimaeus is healed, 
he has a meeting with Zacchaeus. Hey, you come down. I'm coming to your house. And so now Jericho is all in a tizzy because Zacchaeus, the ripoff tax collector, is giving back money. Not only that, blind Bartimaeus is now just Bartimaeus. All right, and you can literally see it. And as we continue to keep reading this, notice back in verse 28 where Jesus is leaving from the Bethsage and Bethany area. Now, who's living in Bethany? A guy named Lazarus. What do we know about Lazarus? At one time he was dead, so dead that he stinks, right? Remember they said, lo, he stinks, right? We're not going to roll the, the tomb back. Now he's alive. So guess what Bethany has? A dead guy that's now alive, and Jesus did it. And you have all of this, this news and everything coming together at this one time, as if the crowd from Bethany is coming in, the crowd from Jericho is coming in, the crowd from Galilee is coming in down here, the ones that talk about the feeding of the 5,000. All of these other stories are culminating all together in one great, if you want to say, two waves crashing into each other, and everybody is going, he's got to be the guy. And so Jesus is leaving from Bethany, and as he leaves from Bethany, they all start crying out. I mean, if anybody was going to be king and save us, it's going to be this guy. All right, because if someone dies in battle, what do we have? We're going to raise him up. Someone gets injured, he's going to heal him. All right, I mean, what else more do you need if you're going to do a revolution against this? And so the people start crying out. And as he rides, notice, and this is a phrase we miss all the time, as they were drawing near, the whole, multi, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. So even before they go into the song, they're talking about, hey, remember when this guy was healed? Remember when, when Peter's mother was healed and Jesus just said it? All right, remember about this? Remember about this miracle? And the, the, this, this excitement, this murmuring of excitement is going through the crowd and it breaks out in praise. And here's what they're saying. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. What they're literally saying is that you are the Messiah, the son of David, the long-awaited ruler, the fulfillment of all God's promises. You are the king who is coming in God's name. Isaiah 9, 7, prophesying about the Messiah says, of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. Meaning, when he establishes his kingdom, there will be no need for an army because he has established peace across the land. And isn't this what Israel is clamoring for? Get Rome off our back. We want to have peace. And on the throne of David and his kingdom and establish it, uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forward and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And these people are understanding, in a way, what they're saying. We'll see, they're not understanding it completely, but right now they're getting it because, in verse 35, and as Jesus is entering in, as he's riding in there, spreading their cloaks on the groat. Now you may say, what is up with that? Because last time I checked, I've seen a lot of people come in that they thought they were great people, but no one threw their jacket on the ground for them to walk on. This, during this time, when you were saying that you were putting yourself under the authority and the submission of this ruler, the way of showing that, you couldn't literally like bow down and let him walk over you. The symbolic way of doing that was throwing your cloak on the ground saying, he is our king, we're going to follow him. Now again, this is what they're proclaiming. But as we, our question asks us is, you keep using that word king, but do you really know what it means? 
Do you really know the fullness of what this means? Because point number two, we're going to see here that this praise is misunderstood. The great misunderstanding that is going to happen is because the people, in a way, are looking for a king, but they're not looking for the king of kings. They're looking for a a protector that would take away their immediate issues and their immediate troubles. Because praise that is misdirected, we start praising and we start misdirecting our praise when we don't understand our greatest need. So if your greatest need is earthly, you praise those who solve your earthly needs. If your greatest need is spiritual, you praise those who deal with your spiritual needs. But what can happen is we can become so earthly focused that we think our need is this when really our need is that. And so our praise can be completely misdirected. What was Israel's greatest need? Rome? Or was it to deal with sin? Again, this is why uh, I was talking to your pastor who's working through Genesis, and he was telling us we don't understand sin, so if we don't understand sin, guess what we're not going to understand? What's happening and what our greatest need is. And one of the things that as we work through Genesis, I really pray that we grasp, and I'm giving you a little bit of spilling the beans on the Genesis, but my prayer is by the time we get to the fall in Genesis chapter 3, by God's grace we have seen the beauty of how God created things. So when we see Adam's rebellion it should sound like the breaking of glass that everybody stops, you know, in a restaurant when someone drops a plate and it's quiet. I pray that it falls on us like that because only when it does that do we understand our great rebellion against God. And we start to realize our great need of a Savior. But what Israel is not seeing, and we'll see this in other passages, what Israel is not seeing is their great need. Because notice as they cry out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They are crying out for this peace. They're crying out that he would solve their problems. It is easy to see external problems around us. It really is. It's easy to see them. We can point to our external problems, right? But you know the hardest thing to do? Is point to the real problem, which is here. Our own hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? When we were down at the conference, there was a little, um, I love these things, there's a little booth that had all sorts of stickers on them and says, you can do anything by taking a verse out of context, was one of them. I thought that was a phenomenal little line. And then there was another one that says, do not follow your heart, all right? And then it had the verse underneath of just going, we are so bought in to a lot of these things that we are so swept away that in the moment when we see, hey, look at all the earthly things that Jesus did for us, this is what we need. But what happens is we need God to break our pride. We need God to break our pride and say, it's here that the change must start. Humbling our hearts to see that we truly need a Savior. It's interesting, the people are proclaiming that He's going to be the Messiah, but that's going to be tested in a couple of days here as we walk through this. Is He really the King? Because if He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, no matter what we see in front of us, He still is. But that's going to, we're going to see that come Friday. We're going to see that wrestle that the whole nation of Israel is going to have to wrestle with. Who is this Jesus? But it's interesting, the Pharisees get it a little bit. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, what do they do? They say to him, Teacher, 
Rebuke your disciples. Stop. Do you understand what they're saying? And he goes, yeah, I do. I, I mean, I'm filling in the blank here. Yes, I understand what they're saying. And you actually understand what they're saying. Your sin is blinding you to actually really understanding it. It's, a comic, it's comical because do you understand what they're saying? Because we understand what they're saying. Do you get what they're saying? That they're calling Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus does not say, well, let me give you a long history. He just looks at them and says, praise will take place. Verse 40. I tell you. If these were silent, the stones would cry out. As we've been looking at Jesus the Creator, God the Creator, we remember that He is the Creator of all things and He will be praised. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth proclaims His splendor. The Lord has a phenomenal sense of humor. Ever since we moved up here, we've been longing to see the northern lights. So we go down to Florida so you all can see the northern lights. And uh, while we were down there, and everybody's posting about how beautiful they looked and how wonderful we were, we're like, oh, well, I'm glad you're enjoying them. As they dance across the sky, there's no way of looking up and going, wow, isn't man great? We're just reminded of the splendor of God, his greatness, his beauty, and everything about that. And we remember that, listen, God is praised all the time and everywhere in this world. It gives praise to God. When we praise, all we are doing is joining the already chorus, lifting our voices to Him. And so, yes, we know, and we're going to look at it here in a moment, the confusion of this day that, in a way, the disciples are going to see it, the disciples are going to hear it, because the music that is being sung this day is going to be struggled to be lived out only a couple of days from now. The third point, which we're going to spend some time on here, is we've looked at praise, proclaim, praise, misunderstood, and praise lived out now. Turn your Bibles real quick to Luke chapter 22. Flip over a couple of verses. So to give you a little background on this, we have to remind ourselves, because sometimes we, if we're not careful, when we think of Jesus, we can think of him as if like a, um, a just really, almost a just, we have, so like there's like Mr. Rogers and Jesus is one step above him. You know, like the little kids come in with a broken doll, he heals it, pats them on the head, and they all run off. All right, well, you don't crucify Mr. Rogers. All right, so like let's make sure we're getting that. From his triumphal entry until now, when Jesus dies on, on Friday at his crucifixion, he is going to go at it with the Pharisees. If you look, read through the Gospel of Matthew, he's literally going to look at them and do one curse after another. Woe to you. Woe to you. He's going to go right into them. He's going to go into the temple, throw out the money changers. He's going to do one thing after another after another, just claim that I am God and you are not, and you must submit to my authority. He's going to go right at the Pharisees to the point the Pharisees literally, are, and the Sadducees, and the religious leaders are literally going to get together and go, we've got to put him to death. And they're just looking for an opportunity. And so we finally get the betrayal and arrest of Jesus here in Luke 22. Now remember, the disciples, what they have seen. I mean, let's just walk through this for a second. The disciples have seen everything. 
They have seen the feeding of the 5,000, literally matter being created. They have watched Jesus walk on water. They have watched him stand up and calm the wind and the wave. They have watched him heal. Peter has seen literally his own mother-in-law being brought back to life. They have been walking along. People have touched Jesus' garment and been healed. And while he was far off, even healing people at a distance, Peter, James, and John literally on the Mount of Transfiguration saw the veil brought back and Moses and Elijah standing there talking. They saw all of these things taking place. And now in front of them, while they are speaking, while they are praying here, or some of them sleeping, in Acts 22, while they were speaking, there came a crowd. A man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, drawing near. But Jesus said to Judas, Why would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, this is, this is Peter, another, another account, one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. And Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. I mean, let's just pause here for a second. In another passage in Matthew's account of this, when, when uh, Judas is coming and they say, who is Jesus? And Jesus says, I am he, literally the, the I am he causes them to fall back on the ground. They pick themselves back up and they go arrest the guy who literally just by proclaiming I am he fell on the ground. In this account here, we see even a more detailed account that Peter thinking that, hey, Jesus, we're not going to let him be taken. Peter, because I'm going to take matters into my own hand, attacks somebody, cuts off his ear. Jesus picks up the ear and heals it. This is power we know not of. But when all this is going on, what do the disciples do? They run and hide. Peter starts following from a distance, denying after denying, even though they saw it all. And this is why sometimes as believers we go, you know, if only I saw one miracle, I'd have no problem with my unbelief. And what do we see all around us? They still struggled with their unbelief. They still struggled with these temptations all around. And so the question is, the praise that was being proclaimed, do we live out that praise when we say that Jesus is King? We literally sound, crown him with many crowns. He is the king we were singing. And not only just one crown, all of the crowns are to be crowned on Jesus. But my question is, you're using that word over and over and over again, but do you really know what you're saying? Do you really believe it? Are you living for him or for this world? Because when you live for him, you understand your greatest need is him. When you're living for the world, your greatest need is just financial, everything else going down the line. So my question is, what is the song that you are singing? What is your life singing? There was an old song that was written many years ago that would say, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. But when you hear that song, though, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior. Savior from what is the question that's in front of us? Is it Savior from sin and its punishments and its depravity, or is it just the Savior that we just, because it makes me feel better? Do we truly grasp our own depravity? Because then I would say when we truly live what these people were proclaiming when Jesus wrote in, that He is the King of kings. When we really live that, we live countercultural. On the way back, as we were driving back from Florida, we were listening to a sermon from a guy who was talking about not wasting their lives. 
And in the whole point of this is don't waste your life. He was talking about someone who was, who was saying what their retirement looked like. And as they were describing their retirement, they were talking about their day wakes up, they go, they go for a long drive out um, on their boat. And when they come back from their boat, what their thing is they've been really doing is collecting seashells. And they have all of these seashells they've collected because that is the new thing that they're doing. And he said, can you imagine when this guy stands before God one day? And he said, so you had 15 years where you were not having to work a job. What did you do with those 15 years? Let me show you my seashell collection, God. As if God would be impressed with something that he created, given back to him of like, hey, look, I collected all these really cool seashells. And he said, and it struck me of even going, what am I pursuing after? When we were down at the conference, um, you're sitting there from pretty much 9 o'clock until very late in the evening from just hearing one thing after another. And there was a, uh, a short little video. Uh, and you'll, in, in your bulletin, there's, a, there's explaining this um, ministry, and I would just, you can read it. I'm not going to read it for you. They were talking about this group of uh, men and women uh, that are in prison, and, uh, as they would like to say, a truly captive audience, right? And these, these men would come in and share the gospel to, the, to these inmates, and one of the guys is sharing about how he came in and he was angry at the world, angry about all these things, but through the teaching of um, Ligonier and through the teachings of these Bible studies that they were coming in, he said he truly understood how depraved he truly was. He has, because one of the things about people in jail, you, they don't have to really struggle with the fact that they're guilty. All right, they got that down. All right, and even this guy said, I deserve to be in here. Like, I don't want you to feel sorry for me as if, like, now that I'm saved, you let me, like, I'm guilty, I was wrong, I murdered these people. But I want to grow in my grace and knowledge of God. I want to learn more. And it's interesting, we can sit here and go, well, I don't have the strength to do this. I don't know what I'm doing over here. But this ministry going, you can encourage and write letters to people that are behind bars, struggling with the things of God, struggling, needing encouragement. The ministries, opportunities are all around us. Because when we truly say that he is king of kings and lord of lords, that means my whole life he has the authority over. Are you using your life, your resources, and giving God the glory for it? Sometimes we sit here and say, well, I don't have the strength of the youth. I look at the youth and go, like, I could never go on a service project because I've got a bad back, fill in the blank, right? But I would say... When you get on your face before God and say, Can, when I truly understand that you are the king that was sent by God to rule this world with justice and righteousness, help me live my life in honor of that. That it's not just lip service. That it just doesn't come off the lips and say, I get this, but I do I actually live it? Does it actually impact every area of my life? Or is it just really neat? Do I get swept away with the crowd when everybody else is doing, everybody else is throwing their coats down? This is really easy to proclaim that Jesus is King and Lord. But then when the, everything really starts happening, what are we going to do? I mean, because let's be honest, right now it is easy to stand in, an, in a warm building that is comfortable and everything else and to say that Jesus is Lord and to say that we're going to submit to it. But the pressure's all around us. For those of you who are in the secular world working secular job, every June you've got to make decisions. 
Every time when all of a sudden the world says what is sinful, what the Bible says is sinful, now we're going to celebrate and you're standing there going, I'm not going to celebrate sin, what do I do? Is right in front of each one of us all the time. Is he really king? Will he really take care of my needs? And your needs may be he will take you out of this world to everlasting praise and glory with him. Are we going to stand firm on the truth or are we going to just waffle? Do we really believe he is king of kings and lord of lords? Because here's what we do know. Turn with me your Bibles real quick to Philippians. That even though this group of people that were singing his praise, we don't know if this same group of people were even near him during the crucifixion. But we do know that they sang his praise one day in Jerusalem, and maybe the same people, maybe different people, were clamoring that he would be killed. But in Philippians chapter 2, here's a promise that we know. Let's start in verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And because Jesus humbled himself to death. Verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, many of us may not see this happen here on earth when we are still alive, but one day what will we know? That this will happen. That he is King of kings and Lord of lords. You keep using that word, but do you really know what it means? The only answer to that is how do we live our lives? Are you living your life boldly following the King of kings and Lord of lords? Paul struggled with this. Paul, many times in the, in his, when he was writing, he would say, pray that we have boldness. And it is not a fake boldness. It was a boldness to live out what he knew was true. So a prayer for boldness does not mean weakness. A prayer for boldness means give me the strength that I know to do what is right. The question in front of us is, what did we learn today? That Jesus is king. The question in front of us, are we going to live out this truth? So I have just a little bit of encouragement for you here. We, without a doubt, believe in the historical accounts of the Bible. That this week was not some type of fable that happened or anything else like that. That these things happen in time and space. And I would encourage you, we, we put together, um, we did not come up with it, we, you can copy and paste, and we gave credit to whom credit is due, but back in the back there, there's an Easter devotional that will walk you through this week. I would encourage you, I think this Easter devotional does a phenomenal job of putting together what happened this week to get us to Friday, because if we're not careful, we go right from everybody waving palm branches to all of a sudden Jesus dying, and we don't understand what took place here. We don't understand why. He was led to the cross. We don't understand why all of these things because we miss putting the whole beautiful salvation narrative together. So I'd encourage you, they're in the back. We'll just start off with one per family and then just take them all. We can print more. But I would really encourage you, don't waste this season by the busyness of this season. 
by the time we're going to go get all that green little grass stuff that is just annoying to to get to the candy. All right, you don't need that. You don't need to focus on all. Just go get your chocolate and just actually go, here you go, kids. Here's your chocolate. All right. And we, we don't need to attach some of the goofball stuff we like to attach on stuff. Enjoy what God has given us in his word because at the end of the day, this is what matters. And we're going to be so tempted to be drawn away. In a moment here, we're going to sing a song and then go before the, the table here, communion. And even in these things, I just pray that you pause and reflect on what the crowd was crying to what I cry in my life. If someone were to say, this is the song of your life, what would it sound like? What would be the chorus? What would be the words? What would that be? Let's pray. Dearly Father, give us wisdom right now. We're going to go before the table here and we're going to be confronted once again in a wonderful way, but in a, in a very difficult way, reminding ourselves of why we needed a, a Savior, why we needed your body to be broken and your blood to be spilt. Help us now. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.